Welcome to So We're Late Podcast, where guest speakers visit every Thursday night. Don't forget to follow for new content every week. To experience a full encounter with Christ, visit Holy Name of Jesus Catholic Church at 1977 West Jefferson Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, and call 818-745-1771 or visit SoWareLay.com for more information. All right, guys, so I'm going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and move forward and introduce Josh, right? So just a little quick introduction so so we can know who, who he is, right, in case some of us don't know. Um, this is what he's doing. He's actually out here this weekend to do a series with us with the whole solar uh, uh, ministries. All right, so let's see. He, John Roses of Agnes Day Ministries. Did I say that correct? <laughs> As our guest preacher, he'll be sharing on John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Josh will be giving three talks, one at Sower LA, Sower Azusa, and a half-day retreat at St. Phyllis the Apostle Church in Pasadena on October 9th. So it would be today, tomorrow, and... Yeah. All three days consecutive. So, just just to get a little background on Josh, um, he's uh, based out of the tri-state area, New Jersey, New Jersey. Josh Roses is a middle school teacher, youth minister, and one of the founders of Agnes Day Ministry. He's a published author, Catholic speaker, pa passionate follower of Christ, and a very, at a very tight second importance to all that, a devout pizza enthusiast okay so he loves pizza over the last eight years of ministry josh has been blessed to travel around the country as a dynamic speaker sharing the word of love of jesus to youth young adults and adults alike he also been very fortunate to work alongside the amazing organizations like young life life teen esne and countless other working to spread the gospel so put your hands together and let me let's welcome josh But I don't know, I might have messed it up because I went to confession and I didn't want y'all to hear my confession. So I took the microphone off just in case. So my fault, bro. We, we did. We worked so hard at this and here I am just ruining things. Um, so my name is Josh. Um, I don't really know how old that bio is. I'm still a huge pizza enthusiast. I'm going to preach drinking cold brew because I've been up since five in the morning. Um, actually, funny story. Okay, I do this a lot. I run on tangents, right? So we'll, we'll get around. We'll come back to theology of the body at some point. Um, there was a, a time where I was, where I had a, a retreat in the morning. Then I had a retreat in the afternoon at this place called the Charismatic Center in the Bronx um, with uh, a, dear, a really dear friend of mine who's now Bishop Joseph Espiat. At the time, his Father Jay. And then after that, we had to go to the cathedral because he's also the spiritual director for the Charismatic Renewal. So we had to do that and then leave to the cathedral. And after the cathedral, I had to go to Phoenix to go speak. So I drank 10 cups of these. I'm still not recovered from the anxiety that it gave me, but we're here and I'm still gonna use this. So um, before we, we kind of dive into the allergy of the body, I'm not gonna assume anyone knows. Pregunta, ¿qué hay alguien que no habla inglés? Okay, okay, we're going English, cool. We're gonna keep stay on track. Um, before we kind of dive into the theology of the body, I'm not going to assume that anyone knows anything, right? That's always the worst thing to do is assume. So, Theology of the Body is a series of talks that John Paul II gave, um, essentially reflections over the time that, that um, the 70s, early 70s. And essentially, what, what Theology of the Body just takes us is to this reality that our bodies were actually made to be holy. Like that your body was made for heaven. And that's, well, I guess eschatology, right? It's the next thing we're going to talk about in there. Um, Eschatology, the reality is that your body was made for heaven, that there is an eternity that your body was made for. You were made forever. But it, it comes to the point where, where original sin creeps in and it steals this thing away. But it's so much deeper than what a lot of people give credit to when it comes to the knowledge of the body. Like the one thing that we tend to, to, to lean in is that we say, oh, it's about relationships. Amen. Yes. But no. It's so much more than just that. So um, before we, we, we just get into that, I just wanted, I'm not going to read this definition. When I wrote this, it seemed like a good idea. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just eschatology is this dogmatic belief that your body was made for eternity, right? It's, a, it's the understanding that it is 
that it is the end, is understanding of end times. So that at some point, there's something that your body was made for. And I'm very Marian, by the way. I love Mary. So you're going to hear a lot of Mary things. But even more, I'm actually going to try to preach and teach two messages at the same time. That's going to be cool if I do it right. Um, the reason being is because we're talking about the theology of the body and we're talking about redemption, right? Ultimately, redemption. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Redemption happens. You were redeemed. Your body was redeemed. Your soul was redeemed. Who you are was redeemed. But we're going to talk about Adam and Eve, of course, but we need to understand this, that this is Eve and this is Adam, this is the redemptive Eve and the redemptive Adam. And then if you see the cross, right? I don't know if this is anywhere, but I remember I was teaching my eighth graders about this. We were actually talking about theology of the body in eighth grade. And I, I made the analogy, right? And I drew it on the board and I drew, I drew Adam and Eve and we talked about the rib and the separation. And then I said, and then God came down from heaven and was incarnated in a woman. And one of my eighth graders goes, Mr. Rosa, that's a cross. And I'm like, you're right, it is. You're very astute. I did, it wasn't my thing, it was hers, but I'm gonna take the credit anyway, because I taught it. But the redemption was found there, right? That, that God so saw that the mess that we were in and he's like, okay, let's fix this. And again, spoiler alert, all of Genesis actually talks about redemption. And when we get to the, to the end of it, it's gonna be like a big reveal. It's gonna look really cool. But eschatology is a reality that we're made for heaven. And, and we see this throughout the gospel, particularly, like I said, very Marian, when, when the angel Gabriel visits, visits Mary, right? The word says this, it says that, he says, hail Mary, right? We know this, right? But the word says that she was confused or perplexed. Again, there's an angel talking to you and the thing you're confused about is her, him saying hi to you. There has to be something more. It's because he called her by her heavenly name. He called her karikatonomi, which means ever favored, ever loved. Which now tells us something that if God called Mary by a different name, that means that you and I have a different name in heaven. So before anyone called you stupid, ugly, lost, useless, wasteful, before anyone tried to give you an identity, God already knew you. Psalm 139, right? That, you're, that God knew you in the, most, in, in the most being of your mother's womb and in the book of life, he wrote your name. And before the creation of the world, God knew who you were. So before you came to be, God said, hey, but you're mine. And the name you have here isn't the name I gave you, but the name that I gave you is so much more powerful. And what I love about Mary, right, because people tend to ignore this little detail when, when she goes visits her cousin Elizabeth, right, so she has accepted in her body, she has accepted God, and in this moment Jesus is present, she's a walking tabernacle, and she goes and she talks to, to her cousin Elizabeth, and what does the baby in Elizabeth's womb do? Come on, say it louder, you all know it. Jump. But the word that we, we ignore is this little portion. It says, when Mary spoke, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and the baby in her womb jumped. You imagine being so filled with God that you speak to people and they just cast the Holy, okay, that might be a little too much. Like, it's just like, hey, and you're just like, oh, it's like, stop, <laughs> relax. That's not what I mean. But like, it would be amazing to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you go and speak to people and people are just like, man, I feel good. St. Teresa of Avila, right? Uh, Teresa, yeah, sorry, Avila. She, would, she couldn't walk into a room without people knowing her presence because she was so filled with God that people knew when she was gone. That would have sucked if you were like 12, 13, trying to sneak out of your house and your mom is like waking up. It's like, I feel you leaving. It's like, no, I'm just going to check out the outside. <laughs> but to be so filled with God that our bodies transmit God. That was the original design, by the way. <laughs> Right? When we look at that, that was the, the original purpose for our bodies. We were made for heaven, for heaven, by heaven. You were made for God, by love, for love. And, and we're living in a time where there is this huge division between the identity that God has given you and the identity the world wants you to believe. And again, I'm trying to stay away from spiritual warfare, but it's almost impossible when we talk about this because this is spiritual warfare. I, I mentioned this actually at, at a... Uh, at a a family uh, retreat, and, and it stuck with me, and it still resonated with me, that the reason that the devil's attacking the family so much is because the last time he let a holy family in, they destroyed him. So he realized that the holier the family, the less power he has. So you can't attack a family without attacking the people individually. And this is what we need to, to get down to. So today, we're, I'm going to try to just condense these two things, right? The, re the reality of redemption in your body and the reality that your body was made for God. A couple of years ago, I was in the, the best place in the world other than church. I was in Target. Um, 
at this point they need to sponsor me. I'm even drinking Starbucks. Like, come on, <laughs> like they just need to just at this pay me, please. Uh, but I was I was at Target and I was like in the shampoo section for some reason because I have so much beautiful hair. And I'm sitting here and I'm holding the shampoo and I'm really focused on the shampoo. And this lady walks up to me and she goes, Josh, Josh Rosa. So naturally, I did what any normal person would do. I started completely ignoring her and just reading my shampoo. <laughs> and she's still like, Josh, Josh Rosa, Kenya son. And I'm like, this is getting really creepy. <laughs> she goes, you live in Inglewood. And I was like, oh, I'm about to get kidnapped. There's a white van outside. This lady has a folder with my face on it. It is just bad. But the thing is, the, the thing that makes us weird is that I kept looking at this thing and she just kept talking to me. And after like five minutes, she decides to leave. She's like, okay, fine. Don't talk to me. She walks away. And then it hits me. I was like, oh, that was Miss Jamie. When I was little, my mom would leave me with her in the summers where she would go to work and she would babysit me. I've been in her house. I knew her family. She knew my family. And then I was praying with that and God just like hits me. But he's like, but that's how you are with me. Like you're so focused on all these other things. I'm going to ruin this for you because when he ruined this for me, you're going to have to go to confession after. <laughs> he goes, that's how you are with me. You're so focused on that one thing that it becomes your God. Your pain becomes your idol. Your fear becomes your idol. Your anxiety, it becomes your idol. And for some of us, our vocations become our idols. We look at marriage and we're like, oh God, this is the most perfect thing in the world. The people who are married are like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's just like, wait a little bit. It gets worse. But it becomes our idol and it doesn't allow us to actually see the fullness of God's plan in us. So when we meet the person, like the person, we don't know how to treat them because we don't know how to treat ourselves. I can't love you if I don't love me. I can't know you if I don't know God. And I can't know myself if I don't know the person who made me. Theology of the body teaches us to open up to the reality that first, right? Because John Paul II, when he starts off theology of the body, I try to condense this to three chapters. It's very, very hard to do. When he talks about original solitude, right? This is that, that famous line, it's not good for man to be alone. He talks about this original solitude. When he comes to this point, he's actually, right, at the very beginning, by the way, should have said this, my background is in microbiology, right? I studied science. So the more I look at, at theology of the body, the more I'm just like, man, God is ridiculously amazing. <laughs> like God makes no mistakes. St. Thomas of Aquinas says that a person is physical, spiritual, and emotional, right? And if any of those three things are ignored, we begin to suffer. So if you ignore the physical, right? Let's just say all I do is drink uh, cold brew, which <laughs> it's kind of necessary right now. I'm probably gonna suffer. <laughs> Right? Probably going to always be anxious. If, if the emotional gets ignored, right? if you don't let your feelings out, if you don't speak to people, if you're not in community, it suffers. If the spiritual is ignored, everything else suffers. You fall apart. But when John Paul II begins and he talks about the, the person in this moment in solitude, it's so beautiful because we kind of just read over and we just see, oh, Adam was in the garden, right? The, the Hebrew is in the shah when we, when we hear about Eve. But in the beginning, it's just, he doesn't even say is, right? He doesn't say man. He, just, he doesn't say Adam. He says man in, in terms of all humanity. So in this moment in solitude, you were present with your God. See, original solitude, whatever season you're in in your life, even if you're married, even if you're in your vocation, maybe your vocation is to priesthood or, or consecrated single or religious, whatever that is, there needs to be a moment of solitude with you and God. Like if you're married, right? I'm not married, but I feel like this is the best advice anyone could ever give. If you are married, you need to have moments where it's just you and God. There's too many things clouding our time with God. And then we wonder why it's so hard to hear God's voice. It's impossible to hear God's voice if you're far away from it. Catholics, I know we don't read our Bibles, but the best way to hear God's voice is by opening your Bible. Amen. It'd be a shame if, you know, Catholics actually read the book they put together. <laughs> We're not doing that. Apologetics, different phrase. So in this moment, we see, we see God say this. This isn't to man, right? He says that, that, that man was alone and John Paul II breaks open the fact that it's not about gender, right? He doesn't say man and, man and woman, that Eve has not entered the picture yet. It's just humanity and he says that in that presumption we can make the assumption that when God created that person he was both male and female right it's not this new gender ideology that we live in this world but the reality that it was meant for all of us science says that when you are right at the moment of conception you are both male and female and it's not till later on that whatever gender you are 
develops, right? In that moment that, that didn't exist, it was just God's creation and God, right? So we see original solitude and, and we see this, this phrase, it is not good for man to, to be alone. And then we hear, here comes Eve, right? Spoiler alert, she does some things and we end up where we are now, but we'll talk about that later. So it says that, it says, that's so terrible. It says, John Paul II talks about the, the, the rib, right? Where you hear this, this famous thing. And so many people quote it and say, oh, well, it's the rib because she's at his side. Amen. But there's so much more. John Paul is clear about the fact that it's not on the top of, of her head because the woman is not above him. It's not at his feet because she is not below him. It's because she's at his side. But there's something so much beautiful when we understand the context and the language. This is why the Catholic Church has the magisterium of the church. We don't just go read a book and say, that's what he said, and not know anything else. The context and the original language in the Sumerian that this would have been understood, the rib actually meant life. So when he looks at her and says that beautiful line, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, He's basically looking at, her, looking at her and saying, life of my life. That's romantic. Like, that's, that's deep. It's like, you're life of my life. That's like a novela where didn't happen. <laughs> vida de mi vida. <laughs> it like zooms in really close. I'm sorry, I'm just, this is the coffee. Um, <laughs> I told you, I do tangents, it's terrible. So, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But this is, this is the beautiful part. That the, the same side that was removed to bring Eve is the same side that is pierced in Jesus to bring salvation. That the bride that was removed... From Adam, it's us, the bride that is given in salvation, the piercing of the side of Jesus. So what was taken out is now given back. What was taken out in that moment, this reality, is so, so much deeper than this, but we're just going to stay at that surface because we can be here forever on this one little thing that, that God so saw what was going to happen and said, this is another way that my piercing can allow my bride to know that I love them. By the way, you're the bride, the church. That side, that piercing, is what gave back life to us. Because ultimately sin, right? Hot that to miss the mark. Sin is, is this division of, of, of us and God. It brings division between us and it divides who we are away from him. A lot of people are so fixated on that line. It's just like, let's, let's give him a helper. I probably should have made that bigger. I know some of you are squinting now, but... It's just, let's, let's, let's give, let's make them, let's make man in our image... And then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Let's give him a helper. So many people are in an uproar now because they don't understand the context of the word. Right? We, we make this belief that the woman is supposed to be a, just an aid to man, just a helper to man, just to the side to man. And that's not what God intended at all. Original language is always important. When we understand helper, actually in that language, in the, in the early Hebrew, meant azar. So it actually means this. I'm only going to read the one thing I made in bold. But it says, azar often refers to an aid in the form of military assistance. If you do not know this, you know it now. You are in a spiritual battle. And your spouse is supposed to be your military assistant. Right? When Jesus says that it's done, right? That, that tashi, I'm messing up that word because I can't remember it. When he says that one thing, it's the same way as saying that the victory has been won. The military victory has been won. The debt has been paid. It has been fully covered. That spouse, it's not supposed to be someone that's just going to do the dishes so you can sit on the couch. It's not just going to be the aide that does all the extra things that you don't want to do. It's supposed to be the person that you turn to when you need prayer. This, this whole sense of spiritual warfare, I, again, I'm trying to stay away from it, but it's like so hard. Whenever we talk about the body, especially right now, where there's this, this huge attack on the body, on, on the, the, the family as it is, but we're not doing that. He created them male and female. So in this point, right, John Paul II um, emphasizes that word, right? Male and female, is and isha, right? It's very, very clear what he was saying. It wasn't trying, was, there was no confusion, confusion in these words. And he's saying that in this moment, he made them with a special identity. He made them with a reason, a purpose for who they were. You were not supposed to be him. She was not supposed to, he, he was not supposed to be her. They had their own assignments. They had their own solitude. And in their union, then they became the Magus Dei, the image and likeness of God, which all of you are. So tap somebody near you and say, hey, Real quick, say hey. Tap the person near you that you picked. Hey. You a little ugly. 
but that's okay because you look like Jesus. Come on, let's finish it through. You're going to say it. But that's okay because you look like Jesus. Every last person in this room, some of y'all like took a little too hard. She's like, yeah, you are a little ugly. It's like, I wasn't going to say nothing, but the preacher told me, to, listen, that's messed up. Um, <laughs> you were made in the image and likeness of God. You were made to be like Jesus. Right. And, and uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, it says that, that the body, that our body, St. Paul says our body was made for the Lord and the Lord was made for our body. Amen. That means that you were made to be an image of God to other people. And that's hard sometimes. Yeah. Like really hard. <laughs> Mother Angelica says, said that the person that, that makes you, that annoys, that makes, the person that makes you want to punch him in the face the most is the person that makes you the holiest. <laughs> so there are some people that you need to thank. <laughs> It's like, it's like really passive aggressive. It's just like, <laughs> thank you for making me holy today. <laughs> uh, too bad you're tired. Just slash right. Don't do that. Um, again, tangent. I was at a, I was leading a holy hour in in, uh, in in the Bronx and in New York traffic. If you think LA tra- uh, parking is bad, New York is like that on steroids. If you think it's a parking spot, it is not. It is a pump. But I just happened to find a parking spot and I'm like, okay, I'm like 15 minutes before the holy hour starts. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm just going to take this spot and I'm about to take this spot and a car just whoop, zooms right in. And you know what I naturally do? The, the New Yorker in me, I hold the horn as loud as I can. And I'm like, I was going to take the spot. Like I started yelling out the window, kind of not trying to fight, but you know, saying something. And I look up and I see the priest walk out of the car and I'm just like, oh, cool. <laughs> And I drive around the block and I find another spot and I'm talking to Fernando and I'm like, yo, you don't know what just happened. And the priest walks out and he's like, so this is what are we going to do for the holy hour? And I'm like, hi, father. <laughs> you got time for confession? <laughs> okay, one more story about that. I was talking to a nun and I was like, hermana, where's the hardest place to be a Christian? And, and she goes, I don't know where. And I'm like, in traffic. And she's like, you're right, I'd be cursing everybody out. I'm like, sister, no, that's not, that's not what I mean. Like, chill, you're, you're too, too aggressive. But I have no idea where we even came from this. But the reality is this, it's that he created us with identity and there's something that wants to rob us of that identity. Right? I, can't, I can't identify God, that's where we were. I can't identify God in you if I'm so busy focused on everything else. Right? If I don't know God is in me, how can I say he's in you? I can see other people and say, wow, they're so holy. Compare our, our own situations to that. But the reality is that St. Paul says that our bodies were made for God. John Paul II, in the Theology of the Body, he breaks it down to two things, right? He breaks it into the words of Jesus, and he breaks it into the sacrament of marriage, based on Ephesians 5, where St. Paul talks about Christ, Christ's blood being the redemption that we received. Um, but this, this is the truth that we were born of... of we were made in this nature that we have our identity. Something wants to rob us of that. Because if, if we cannot relate to the fact that we were made for one another, right? That we were made trans- transactional for each other. Then we begin to just diminish the purpose of a person. If I can't look at somebody and say, you remind me of God, I won't treat you like God is in you. I can't love you like God is in you because to me now you're no longer a person. Let's be real. Like, this is what we're being taught regularly in the society. That people are just things, right? John Paul II is, is quoted saying that. He says that we, we, we cannot love people if we aim to use people. And we've learned now, well, we're being taught now, that there is no necessity for us to enter anything other, anything deeper, any other covenant deeper with anyone if we can just use a person. And the sad part is that some of us look at that and we say, okay, but, but if, if I find interest in somebody and I want them to, to find interest in me, I'm going to let them think that I am the person that they want me to be. Listen to me. If you have to be fake for somebody to like you, they're not going to like the real you. Is it possible for you to keep a mask for that long? Maybe you'll do good for a year, two years even, but eventually you'll fall apart. I can't be who God called me to be if I'm too busy trying to be like everyone else. My identity is not based on them. So this is, this is the reality that we have to look at this. When we look at the transactional relationship, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, it doesn't mean that, yes, yes we are one in the, in the image and likeness of God, but it also means that you have this beautiful identity as a female, you have this beautiful identity as a male that was made for something so much deeper, something so much more. Not just to be used, not just to be pushed away, not just to be convenient, not just to be a late night DM Y'all be answering, just don't respond. You were made for something. Listen, I worked the BBL into a talk once. I don't know how I did it, but it happened. 
we live in a society right now where things are just like, this is normal. It's not normal. <laughs> None of this is normal. No, it's not normal to feel like you need to change who God made you to be so somebody else can say, hey, you're kind of cool. I like you. I have a friend. His name is uh, Tim. And Tim is one of the, probably the most, that whole family is so anointed. Like, I'm not going to get into their testimony, but it's so beautiful. Um, they couldn't have babies. Now they have six beautiful kids, right? And they're super, just, just super, super blessed family. And, and Tim would literally, and, I, and okay, I'm pretty, believe it or not, I'm extremely introverted. Like, in front of people, amazing. No problem. One-on-one, I'm just like, so, do you like cheese? Like, I'm just weird. Like, it's just, <laughs> it just doesn't work for me. But, I, and eventually, like, if you get to know me, cool, it'll, it'll work out. But just one-on-one, I'm just, I'm just weird. That's just why. But Tim is the polar opposite. Tim will just, like, walk up to people. And, and Tim, one day, just walks up to this guy. He's like, hey, do you know Jesus? I'm like, Tim, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is a random person. Goes, do you know Jesus? And he gets to the conversation, and this person hates, hate, hated it. It wasn't good, like the, the transaction. But I, I just imagine having that much courage to say, hey, there's a God, and he wants to know you. And you just walk out to random people and just say that to them. Like, how different would this world be? Another priest friend of mine who, I won't say his name because I'm not supposed to, but he's actually the exorcist for the Archdiocese of New York. Um, and we... We would walk around like after masses and in the middle of like just talking to people who say, hey, let's go pray for this random person right here. And I'm just, all right, let's do it. In the middle of Manhattan, where you're more likely to get punched to say, I want to pray for you. He's just like, let's just pray. He, he, it's easy for him because he has his collar. I'm just like a regular person. If they're going to swing, it's at me. It's not at him. So he's okay with that. But I just imagine how courageous it had to be if we knew who we were in God and we went out there and were that. St. Teresa of Avila? Now I'm forgetting my saints. It's the coffee. I think I knew what I said. I'll help you. If you. It's not St. Teresa. If you were to be who God called you to be, you set the world ablaze. That was? St. Catherine St. Catherine There you go. I was testing you. Thank you for participating. You win a prize. The prize is me drinking more coffee. If you were to be who God called you to be, you set the world ablaze. We're so busy being everyone else that the world is like lukewarm and we're joining in. And I'm not going to even tell you what Jesus says about lukewarm people. Spit right out. Um, <laughs> community of persons. So in, in this, this, this unity, right? John Paul II talks about the community of persons, the reality that we are made for community, right? But this is the thing. As much as we know that, as, as good as you know your Bible, the devil knows it better. And as much as you know that you were made for community because you know scripture says it and because St. Paul says that in his letters, right, he says that all gifts are present. That means in this community right now, somebody has a gift of healing. Somebody has a gift of prophecy. Somebody has a gift of interpretation of words. Somebody, every gift is present in every community. You need community to thrive. But as much as we know that, the enemy knows that too. So what he does is he tries to pervert, once again, he tries to pervert the things that were made to be holy. And we talk about community, he tries to make it in a sense that now you need to feel like you need to fit in. That you need to, he, he makes you think that the community you need to belong with is the community outside. And then you do all of these things to fit in with that community and then you're just like, but I feel empty. Like, am I not supposed to feel good when I'm with community? Wrong community. <laughs> this community is going to feed you and this community is going to drain you. When he says this, it's, it's an emphasis of bringing us closer to God because in that body, we are enjoined in the body of Christ. And we're made for that. But more, more especially, John Paul, this is one of my favorite quotes from like all of Theology of the Body. So there was an evidence I was going to put this up here. John Paul says, a lone man does not completely realize this essence of being a person. He realizes it only by existing with someone. And even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. The community of persons means ex existing in mutual for, in a relationship of mutual gift. It's not you give more and I take. It's mutual gift. I give in, you give in. That little saying, 50-50, right? And then we, we realize, no, it's 100-100. I can't give you half of me. I just want to dispel this little thing that it's like a hallmark thing. I don't know who came up with this. But with that, that, in that same conversation I had with one of those girls, her name was, her name was Bella. And she goes, she goes, but Mr. Rosa, don't we, don't we have a soulmate? And I'm like, no. God is not that evil. God, is, God, God did not make your heart half to be completed with somebody else. God made your heart whole and it's holy for him. Your heart is not somewhere else. And when you meet that, God is not that evil that he's going to put your soulmate in another country in another language that you might never meet. 
And then you're going to be miserable. <laughs> We're so busy looking for the one that we ignore the one. <laughs> not Neo from the Matrix. I just, it just that's, I don't know why I imagined like somebody doing the Matrix and that's not what I meant. But we ignore the one who is God. We're so busy trying to find other people to fill us that your, your heart was already made full. There's no such thing as a soulmate. <laughs> I, I know I, I might have burst some bubbles just now, but that's not a thing. Some of you are like, no, there's not a special person for me. No, yeah, there is. It's Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to burst another bubble. You're not married in heaven. Ooh. When you die, you're already with God. So... All I'm saying is real occasion is not marriage. And you think it's just because in heaven you're going to be tied to another person. Imagine being tied to the same person for eternity. I mean, I think that's mercy. I think God, God was just like, I love you too much to let that happen. <laughs> I, I see how you guys argue when you leave your shoes in the front door. That's not happening. <laughs> but there's no need for it because our eternity is with him. In heaven, there is no necessity for, for this, this, this marriage. Because the marriage is already to the bridegroom. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to be the one that tells you this. And this is another pet peeve of mine. I feel like I've got to say, you are a human being. When you die, you don't become an angel. Here people say, oh, I have an angel. I have an angel. You don't. Hopefully you have a saint. When you die, you become a saint. <laughs> the goal is the sainthood, right? Oh, that's the whole thing. Look at me tying everything in, right? Because this whole series, right, is theology of the body taking us to sainthood. When you die, your body, if you get to heaven, become a saint. I would much rather be a saint than an angel. As cool as that sounds. So we were made in this communion for each other. It's, but the, the, the interesting thing is that, that we, we try to break this down and come back to the fact that, well, oh, there's somebody out there for me, right? And then we create this delusion in our mind that there's only this particular person and they look this way and they act this way and they have this much money and they drive this kind of car and then you get this guy whose car is turning off every 15 minutes. But you're so concerned about that other person that you had in your mind that this person no longer fits your mold. And this was the person that God could have used to make you holy. So busy looking for what you desire that you forget to listen to what he desires for you. It ends up being this, this not community of persons, it ends up being a community of me, the unholy spirit, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. I become the most important person to worship. I become the most important person to go to for my questions, for my, for my answers. Somebody else tried that. He got kicked out of heaven. We don't know his name, but we're not going to say it. <laughs> Two reciprocally completing ways oops, of being a body. And at the same time of being human, male and female, right? That God has made us in these two ways that are uniquely bodies. And it says, again, this, we're still in the original unity. It says, the presence of the feminine element next to the masculine and together with it signifies an enrichment for man in the whole perspective of his history, including the history of his salvation. There's like this, this weird thing with like these spiritual but not religious people where now they're saying things like, oh, you know, you need a masculine man to bring the feminine out in you. And, and they'll say all these things. I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. You're right. It's called theology of the body. And the Bible, the church has been saying it forever. And Genesis literally says this, that you were made for this thing. Because the distinction is, again, spiritual warfare. The distinction is this one thing, that if I can get you to claim these realities, these truths that your body already knows, without saying the name of God, I won. If I can take away your understanding that there is a God, that there is a creator, that there is someone above everything. Recently, actually, again, science, my background. Recently, um, the Nobel Prize was awarded to these scientists who proved that the universe between quantitative understanding is not real. That's crazy. <laughs> they say that the universe is actually not real and they proved it beyond a reasonable doubt that, 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 that this theory is valid. And now what other scientists are saying was like, oh, yeah, the universe is too perfectly mathematical. There has to be something else out there. We must be in a simulation. Senora, just say we're, we're, there's a creator and he made everything is easier. So we're in, the, we're in the matrix. Oh, wow. Now that's two matrix references. Now I'm a little worried. Need more coffee. Jesus, come. 
But it blows my mind that we would rather try to find every other whole circle around it instead of just saying, you're right, the universe is too perfectly mathematical. The earth is too perfectly placed. Gravity is too perfectly centered. There has to be someone that made this universe, right? The reality of this. But if I get you to question that there's a God, See, the devil is not, not clever. He does the same thing over and over. Okay, it's not a spiritual warfare thing, but I just, I got to say this one thing. When he comes to Adam and Eve, right, at the garden, he says to, to, to eat of the fruit of, of there's two trees, all right, the tree of life and the tree of good and evil, right? He says to them to eat from this tree. He says to, he says to her this, did God really say that you shouldn't? He didn't say God didn't say it. He didn't say God isn't good. He didn't say none of that. He just made her question. Just made her doubt God. He made her doubt what God was doing within her. And then throughout history, that's what it's been. He's made people doubt who they are in God. He's made people doubt who their body was in God. He made people doubt the reality that he exists. Because if I change God to, to the universe, I, don't, I no longer need to go to God. He knows how powerful that name is, right? If I, if I go from, from the rock, not Dwayne Johnson, but to a rock, the universe. I got, some of you got that. <laughs> There is no power in rocks. I said this once and I think I offended somebody and it's okay. If you're offended by it, I'm sorry. Um, I said, I made this post. I was like, somewhere in America, there's a girl with a pocket full of rocks talking about energy and she's going to drown because she's going to fall into a pool and it's going to pull her down. Like rocks don't have power, right? All these cults that we're, well, I, I'm getting a little bit off track here, but just, just, just this one thing that he made them doubt. And that's how he creeps in. And he makes you doubt your identity and he makes you doubt your body. And he makes you doubt if you're ugly or if you're pretty or if you're smart enough or if you're tall enough or if you're short enough. And, and like, I don't know if you ever felt this moment where you're like sitting in bed and you like remember something stupid you did like 10 years ago. You're like, oh, I was so dumb that day. And it doesn't even matter. It's gone. That's how the enemy works. The enemy can't create. You who were made in the image and likeness of God, you can create. So he tries to attack you in your thoughts. You can't put thoughts in your brain, right? But when we understand this, it creates so much power. He tries to make you doubt your identity. And, and that's, that's what's happening right now. Right? We're living in a time of, of uncertainty. This union carries within itself a particular awareness of the meaning of that body in the reciprocal self-gift of the persons. We are gifts to each other. And again, God is so amazing because in the biology of this, when, when we're meant to, to be one, hormones are released Right? There's a physical, there's a chemical response. There the different hormones that actually attach us to one another. Women more than men release this hormone. Men, unfortunately, for some reason, release it less. But this hormone actually attaches you to this person. And science tells us that we make attachments to people in that sense, right? Because that was the whole purpose of, of procreating of life. So God tells us that I'm going to make you in a, in a way as a gift for someone else. I'm not going to make you like as a gift to, to a specific person because you're already mine. You are not theirs. Your heart has already been redeemed. You have been redeemed by me. You are, you are mine. I am yours. This is what God says to us. This is a transactional relationship that we have here. But the moment that you decide to bring somebody into our relationship, now we are all one. And you become a gift to them and they become a gift to you. But what if my gift has been gifted to everyone? Here's the beauty though, that God redeems that. Right? When I choose to say, God, you are the gift and, I, and you're the giver and, and I'm the gift and I'm here for you and the giver is good, I'm here to connect with you. This, this relationship, it's meant for this thing. So when, when we physically, scientifically, right, when we tie this bond, we're connected to this person, but also spiritually, you are making connections to people that might not be living the life that you desire to live. And there are all these spiritual connections out there now. It's physical, it's spiritual, and it's emotional. Do you see what it just did there? It's a person. This communion of persons. That you've made this connection to this person. You made it physically, you made it spiritually, and you made it emotionally. Whether it might have been a stupid thing, it was still a choice. John, the Paul, John Paul II says that we are a gift. You are a gift. And you were made in a special way for that person. Yes, do we fall? We mess up. Absolutely. I've probably messed up like 20 times on my way here alone. Because you're human. That's okay. There's this beautiful thing called confession. <laughs> because God knew that you were going to mess up a lot. 
Actually, we were talking about this before, right? That our Protestant brothers and sisters say, well, you're saved once, okay? Yes, you're right. You're, you're, theologically, you are correct. God, Jesus was, was, was crucified, was died, buried. The, the, he rose again from the dead for that one, right? That one eternal salvation. He saved you in that moment. But you still keep doing things that further you from God, that separate you from God. So in that same salvation, he says, okay, I'm going to give you a way to come back to me. Naked and ashamed is going to come up in this point. And, and, and just have to tie this in. Because the first time that, that Adam and Eve broke this covenant between God, right? It says that they were, they were, naked, and they were uh, naked in the garden. They became aware of their nakedness. And, and I just got to tie this one thing in there. Where, where Adam looks at God. He says, God he, says, he says to Adam, where were you? He says, he, said, I, he says to God, he says, I heard your, foot, your feet coming in and I hid because I was so ashamed of you. God knew what he did. He's God. He's aware of everything. If he didn't know, he probably wouldn't be that good of a God. He knew what he did, but he allowed him to confess it because that act was physical. So this is the reality, right? That if you, have, if you, haven't, if you haven't pulled away from that, the enemy is going to want to convince you that, okay, it's too late. You're not redeemable. Your body has been this. Your body has been that. You have been in this place. You've done these things. And God's like, no, I have redeemed you wholly. Your body, your heart, your mind, it's mine. Joseph Solomon had this, this, um, this uh, spoken word that today has been resonating with me a lot. And it was resonating with me before we were leading worship, right? It was uh, that he, he had this, this, this spoken word. He, was, he said to God, he's speaking to God. And he's like, God, I, I'm not doubting you. I just have doubts. And then he stops and God responds. And he says, my, my child, I'm not telling you not to have doubts. I'm just telling you to remind your doubts of how empty they are. They're as empty as a tomb I walked out of. Those doubts don't hold any weight in your life. Just come back to me. So if, if you feel like you've been gifted away and that, that your reality of who God has made you to be has been so far, that's a lie. There is no distance that you can run, that you can run away from God. He's like that, that father is like, you're, you're training to run. He's like casually driving behind you. He's like, I'm here. I know you're gonna get tired eventually. You can just hop in the seat and we'll come back. There's no one that's not redeemable. And that, that brings us to this, this reality that, that we're given this, this image of, of redemption and of love that is honestly watered down. Um, I want to share this video real quick uh, because I think somebody said this once and I agree with them that the only honest people in this world are drunk people and kids. And I'm not going to show you a bunch of drunk people. But I'm going to show you some kids from the Jimmy Kimmel show telling us what love is like. Oh, maybe if I unmute it. It doesn't have to be that loud, I think. Love is a. You know what? I have an idea. We thought it would be fun to go out on the street to ask children to explain love. And, well, this is what they had to say. What is love? No idea. What is love? Um, love is when you love somebody, and it's when you love somebody, and it's really when you love somebody. What do you think it feels like to be in love? It feels like heaven. What do people who are in love with each other do? They be gross. What does that mean? They kiss, they be gross. If you're not in love and you want to be, what should you do to find someone? Go to a woman casino. What about Tinder? Do you think that's a good way to meet people? Tinder? Maybe. If it's chicken, probably. They would probably like it. Chicken Tinder? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to have on a date. Yep. Do any of your friends at school have boyfriends? I don't know that answer. My friend pretended she did, but it was just a stuffed animal. <laughs> it was funny. Because after school, who knows what happens with him. And I like to do it. All the time. Play with my Legos. Do you like girls? Yeah. Do you have a girlfriend? Yes. Who is she? Isabella. What do you What do you like about her? Um, her hair. She She has beautiful toys. Is there anyone you have a crush on? 
It's a secret, but I'm not telling anybody. Is so she your girlfriend? No. But she's beautiful. Is that what do you like about her besides that she's beautiful? Oh, uh, she's just beautiful. Is there any boy you have a crush on at school? No. How did you know you were in love with her? Um, when I met her in when I met her in kindergarten, she was just so beautiful, and I she had long hair. She was just so beautiful. I'm not really into that stuff anymore. Like what stuff? Like marrying stuff anymore. I feel like I want to be single this now. Not about like for the rest of your life, or just now? Just at the moment. I'm not sure about maybe when I get older. Just want to focus on yourself and your career. Yeah. What is love? I, I, I can do kicks. I'll see the kicks. <laughs> wow. And that's what love is? Yeah. That, that last kid is my favorite. It's like, that's love. Just do some kicks. <laughs> but there's something beautiful about... Um, their interpretation of love and it reminds me of that original solitude that original innocence like I remember when I was little I would make friends with everybody like I just walk up into like my mom was doing laundry and I'm like hey you want to be best friends cool we're best friends now it's forever and it was just like this like trust now it's just like why are you talking to me <laughs> like stay over there my coffee just started it's this innocence that, that they see there that they just see love and they see this in, in a certain way and, and we've kind of watered down what love is because love is meant to be for everybody right we're supposed to give this in, in our bodies we're meant to be these images of love but we've kind of just pulled away from what what god has originally planned for that to look like this communion of persons this love between us and this, this, this reality and just kind of pulled into what society says love looks like society is really struggling to identify love and it's no coincidence that we have the highest level of, of atheism in our society. And then we wonder why everything is so broken and messed up. It's like there is no love because if there is no God, there is no love. And it's impossible to know true love if you don't know love. So we have this, this, this watered down, lukewarm version of love that, that we just don't feel like we're receiving or we're giving. Even within our own families, it kind of falls off. But the reality of, of, of who God made us, the original nakedness, it was naked and unashamed before the shame. Right, Because it says that, that Adam and Eve, what John Paul II goes in and talks about the reality that Adam and Eve were in this garden and they were naked and they were unashamed. That there was, there was no necessity for them to ever feel that, that they should feel shame. Now nakedness, when we understand that, it doesn't just mean like physically, like yes, they were physically, they didn't have clothes on physically. But it's also this, this rawness, this openness, this truth between them each other, between each other this, this communion of persons that did not have barriers in between. There are so many barriers between us now. It's so hard sometimes to connect to people because there's so many walls that we keep putting up because of what we've become accustomed to and used to. And then this is what happens. This, I'm going to ruin it again for somebody else. That we, we tend to do this, right? We tend to, to say, okay, well, I was hurt this way, so I'm never going to love this way again. And now I neglect that love for somebody that could have loved me that way too. And now I create this wall and this barrier between what God has designed and made for me that I'm going to miss out on what he has literally right in front of me because I'm so busy focused on what's behind me. That's how I loved and how I felt and how I did. And now look at me. We fall into the shame. And I, this is, am I ruining it? I'm almost there. One of my favorite quotes also from this that I'm not going to ruin it. I'm gonna, I was going to give it off, but it's really that good. I'm going to get there. We're going to just get, make sure we get to that point. Um, shame is not only one of man's original experience. Oh, it was next. But it is a boundary experience. When I read that, I, I literally sat on that line for like an hour. That shame is not, it's, read it again, shame, shame is not only one of man's original experiences, right? Because he felt shame in the garden after they, they broke this connection with God, after they put this wall in between them and God. But it is also a boundary experience. You have felt shame not because it is, you are terrible, but it's because it's to produce boundaries between the things that God wants in your life. Shame was never meant, like God does not make the commandments because he wants to own you. It's because he wants to love you and he wants to keep you safe. It became a boundary experience that we say, okay, I felt this way here. I'm no longer going to feel this way. If this thing was wrong and it did not serve God, then I'm not going to go back. 
It became a boundary. There are certain boundaries that we need to establish in our lives. And, and, and these things let us fall backwards into shame. When we talk about redemption, God has given us in that redemption this reality of, of boundaries. Yes, you were redeemed. And yes, you have, you receive the sacrament of confession. Yes, you are, you're constantly redeemed. You're constantly forgiven. You're constantly brought back to God. But there needs to be a point where you decide, I no longer want to be a part of that shame. That's no longer who I am. So we, we create this, this boundary between us and, and we tie all this back into the power of your identity, who God has made you to be. You are already his son, his daughter. There is already this, this adoption, right? There's already the spirit, that uh, uh, Second Timothy, right? That says that you have been given the spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. You have been made in a way that God has adopted you in, in your daughtership, in your sonship, and there's nothing that can come between that. No lie, no shame, no fear can conquer the love that God has given you because you're his, and anything else that comes into the mix, whether it be a person, whether, whether it be a vocation, whether it be anything that you bring into your life should always tie right back to him. This is, this is the reality. So I, I said before, um, and sorry, I might've gone a little longer and I'll leave some time for a Q&A before I get to the last point. Well, after I get to the last point, I said before that there's this, this reality of redemption that has already been talked about in Genesis within the very names of the people got that, that, got that we, we read, uh, the story of redemption has come in. So within the lineage, by the way, I gotta make this, this very clear. When, when we hear the lineage of Jesus in the gospels, sometimes we, we read all these names who came after who and after who and after who, and everyone's like, okay, this is really boring, stop. You're like a name 35. The beauty of this is that Jesus shows everyone in his family, even the people that were seemed less than good. And he shows that there were people in his family that were bad, that were, uh, uh, there was prostitutes in, inside of Jesus' lineage. But Jesus showed that even in that lineage, there's redemption. That even if the people before me weren't that great, it's okay because my God still loves them and still redeems them. And, and I don't, do not have to be a byproduct of that badness. I can choose to be deeper, but this is the beauty that this is, these are actually the genealogy in there. So um, we, we start from Adam and Adam's son, Seth and Enosh and Cain, uh, Cain and Abel, Cain, uh, Mahalal, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, uh, Lemek and Noah. This, this is all Genesis. And this is what Genesis outlines. This says this in English, it says man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. Each of those names translates to that. It's literally saying that, that Jesus will suffer and die and that those who need rest, those who are in sorrow, will receive comfort. From the beginning, God had already planned your redemption. We see, we see this, this, this image of Jesus crucified, right? I should have put a picture. It probably would have been a little deeper, but this reality of Jesus crucified. And this is the full tie that his crucifixion happened over the grave of Adam, Golgotha, right, the, mount, the mountain of, of, of skulls. Um, this section has been teaching from the beginning of the church. Um, and the notion that Jesus was crucified on top of the tomb of Adam's corpse uh, pops up fairly early in Christian history. Uh, Saint Origen, uh, Christosom, and Jerome, this is actually from a historical source, so they don't say saint, but you know, they're saints. Uh, Saint Jerome all made a, made, uh, all make reference to this idea. Ephesus of Solomon in uh, 315 3:15-403 wrote that our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on Golgotha, nowhere else than where Adam's body laid buried. For, for after leaving paradise, living opposite for a long time and growing old, Adam later came and died in this place, I mean Jerusalem, and was buried there on the site of Golgotha. This was probably the way, the place, which means place of skulls, got its name. Since the contour of the site bears no resemblance to, the skull, to a skull. So essentially is literally telling us that, that where Adam's body laid, Christ was crucified. That full circle of redemption that was already predicted inside of Genesis came to be in that mountain. That in that body that laid underneath, that body that was put up, so that, that, that fruit that Eve took from the tree and brought down, Mary gave back up. And it would be crucified for our redemption, for the redemption of the rest of his body. Man, God's cool. <laughs> like, that is so dope. Like, I, I know I'm a little geekier than most people when it comes to stuff like this, but whenever I read stuff of them, I'm just like, 
It's like because you see the fullness of God, that God has never made a mistake, that everything that he has put in order and place has gone the way he anticipated it. And we, of course, we have our free will and we make our decisions and everything, but God still finds ways to come back to us, to show us, hey, I'm God. He's God. Who are we that the God that created everything beautiful desires to know us? St. Augustine says that don't all beautiful things give praise to you, O Lord. Everything that was made beautiful gives praise to God. And who, who are we that he makes ways for us to find him? Let's pray, and then I'll open up for some Q&A, right? That's what we're doing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. And just take a deep breath. Just let it out. Father, we just want to thank you um, for every person that's here right now. For every heart that's here right now, Lord. Whether we are in our best states or in our worst states, whether we're close to you or further away from you, Lord. Right now we're in this place because some way, somehow you've called us here. So Abba, we just pray to know that you are our father, that our bodies were made for you, that we were made to be redeemed because you have called us to be redeemed, that we're made to be loved because you have called us to be loved that we're made to be whole because you have called us to be whole. And Lord, we just pray right now in a special way for anyone who's struggling with that belief in you, Lord, the belief that, that they were made for you, that their bodies are made for you, that there's a purpose in them, Lord, right now. And just in a special way, we just wanna, just wanna pray that trust, Lord. Lord, we present to you our hearts here. It's the truth of, of who we are in you more, who you are in us. And Lord, we pray that as this night just, just comes to, to an end and as we, we just spend this time here in fellowship and whatever else we do, Lord, that, that in a special way you may abide and move and that others may know you because we know you so well. And you, blessed mother, who are the daughter of God, the father, the mother of God, the son, the, the spouse of God, the Holy Spirit, we pray for your intercession that you who know Jesus best may bring us to him that you may show us how to love God fully and consistently. Saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, so I think we're doing Q&A. I can't really see anybody because that light's like right there. So could we... Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Deacon. Um, so we have a couple of minutes and we have any questions that we want to just dive into. Um, I think more is done with stuff like that as small groups and even talks, but does anyone have any questions about anything? So like, um, I don't know if I was, they, they told me wrong, but I think we're going to say this, but when you were talking about soulmates, mm -hmm. uh, I understood that if you're, um, um, you're getting, uh, you're meant to be married. There's a God created somebody to answer that call, but not your soulmate. Is that is that how it is? So a better way to word that, it's not so much that they answer the call, is that they have the same calling. So it, it's 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 an understanding that that we both are in, coming into this this vocation because we both have a calling to this vocation, but not because there's something uniquely special in you that is only uniquely special in me. Um, yeah. Let's be real, you, you, can, you can meet five people and love something different about each person. And then you can find something you hate about each person. And that person you marry, you might still have the same thing. So it's not that you can't love, right? Because we have different types of love. Uh, philia, storgi, eros, agape, right? All these kind of loves that are filled, fulfilled fully in marriage. But they're not, it's not that there's a, a distinctive person that is, is going to answer that call just for me. But we both have the calling and we answer God together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, I understood. <laughs> From before. Yeah, yeah. So that's that. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> so we're good we clarified that one. Anyone else? But it is amazing, you know, it's pretty amazing when you you know make that love connection. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a special thing, right? Yeah. It's ultimately how, how we best serve God. I mean it's ultimately how we best serve God. If 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 that vocation is going to, 
right? Discernment, right? When we discern things, we need to know, firstly, is this going to serve God? Like, this is going to serve God. Is this going to help me live closer to God? Is this going to be a testimony to God? And do I even want this? Right? When we discern things like that, we understand that if it's not first pointing to God, then it can't, it's always going to point away from Him. It's only two directions. Is it towards Him or away from Him? So it needs to be that fullness that is towards Him. Cool. So thank you guys so much for um, being here. Praise, praise God. And I'm going to close this. Thank you for listening. Please visit SoWareLay.com for more information. Don't forget to download the Esne app or go to JesusTheSower.com to listen to Esne the Sower, the Sower Ministry, moving with confidence.